These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here today with Rebecca Schutz. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Nancy. So it's been, what, like five weeks since I saw you at the office? Not five. Oh, yeah. Crazy. That's wild. Yeah. So strange to think I've been home mostly with my family for five weeks straight. Yeah. And you, <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> um, so last time we were together, we talked about housing and how the world of residential real estate is changing with people touring houses virtually and appraisers valuing properties from the exterior of the home or even from their computers. Today, we're going to be talking with a couple of guests about how the coronavirus is impacting commercial real estate. And it's interesting timing because you and I were both on a Zoom call this morning with the executive editor of the Chronicle and the rest of the editorial staff. And we heard a little bit about how our commercial space, the way we work in our building could change. Yeah. What What did you think about what he said? Well, part of what he said was that when we come back, things will probably be a little bit different. We might have more space between workstations, which I I feel like our workstations weren't even that close to begin with. So I was very surprised to hear that. I don't know how it's going to work. He said they're looking into the same sort of plastic shields that HGB has between their cash registers and their customers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think he used the word to prevent spittle from flying during exciting (laughs) conversations. And I was like, we don't need a plastic shield over at our side. We don't spit at each other. But um, I think think at least amongst some of us, that that, that was a little bit sad to hear because we liked the idea of things returning back to normal and miss our coworkers and the idea that even when we return, there'll be barriers between us. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's going to be fascinating to watch how this plays out in our spaces and as as real estate reporters, just how other companies do it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for for years, companies have been cramming more people into smaller spaces and this flies in the face of that entirely. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how companies manage that. So anyway, we are about to bring in Tim and Tom Dosh. They are the founders of a company called Dosh Marshall Real Estate, and they've been doing this for a while. They they focus on land sales, but they're really plugged in with what's going on. And we're going to get them to tell us what they're seeing in terms of commercial real estate and how their worlds are changing. So let me see if I can bring them in. Mm-hmm. We're doing well. How are you? Doing good. It's been a crazy, crazy time. I know. Let me introduce you. I guess you you guys haven't met before. This is Tim Dosh and 
This is Rebecca Schutz. Hi. Hey, Rebecca. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. And Tom, I was just talking to you. He should be getting on pretty soon. Okay, great. So it looks like you're on your porch or somewhere. I am. I'm outside. Yeah. I'm getting used with the somewhat nice weather. I'm trying to take advantage of it while I can before yeah. I'm stuck inside. I was so bummed that, you know, it was just like so beautiful all week. And me and my roommate were like, can't wait till this weekend. And now yeah. it's forecast for storms. And it's like, always the way it is. The weekend is starts raining. <laughs> yeah. Let me take Okay. Is Tom getting on? Nice. Okay. There he is. All right. Hey, Tom. Hello. Can't hear you. <laughs> well, I guess I could call on, I could call Tom on my phone and do speakerphone on your side. Do this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that might I work. Mean, <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah. Podcast editor is cringing. All okay. right. Let's try it. All right, guys. Let me, let me try that. Um, Tim, what what is Tom's number? Thank you guys both for, for joining us today. And sorry for all the technological difficulties, but this is life today. Um, first, could you guys just kind of say who you are and, and explain what you do? So we have a land brokerage company in Houston. Uh, we have about 22 people on our team. and We cover all kinds of land uh, development deals uh, from inner city type deals that are high rise, like on Kirby, you know, th- those kind of dense deals all the way out to suburban sites and large acreage sites going out outside of town, the path of growth. But we're seeing a little bit of an exodus outside of Houston because of the challenges in Houston and more deals happening and some other hot markets across the country. So we're involved in those deals outside of Texas. And so Houston is challenged because of the virus, but also because of oil. We have you know $17 oil a day, which is very difficult. Uh, we're seeing uh, institutional money and construction debt pull, out, pull back from Houston, pull back really across the country, but really from Houston because of low oil prices. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot of our clients say, hey, we'll still look at deals in Houston, but they got to be really good sites. There needs to be a, a really good story. Uh, but we're more open to maybe Tampa or to Denver uh, or to Phoenix. You know, Phoenix uh, didn't recover as well as some other markets after the Great Recession. People think there's a lot of run room there to keep doing deals there. So uh, I think a, a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, where are we? What, what does the future look like? We still don't know. But they're thinking that Houston's going to have some bigger challenges than some of their markets. Um, but there's also some contrarian. I talked to a group yesterday that's a real big, you know, developer. They actually think this is the time to do Houston deals. I think the, the best deals will be done in Houston in the next couple of years because people will be, will be leaving Houston. There'll be more opportunities, uh, better construction pricing. And because of the downturn in 14 through 16, Houston doesn't have as far to fall as markets like Denver and some of the Florida markets that really have a bubble. So do you, you said that the, the contrarian side, a lot of people are going to be looking at Houston. Do you think... People think that there are going to be a lot of deals in terms of price discounts. Is it going to be a situation where land really starts to fall in value? Have you seen any of that yet? I think it's a little bit early, and it typically takes probably a year for land prices to really correct. And we're seeing a lot of good sites where sellers are saying, hey, you can walk away. From, you know, Developers come and buy and say, I need an extension of six months or a year. I can't close this right now. And there's a lot of sellers who are just saying, you know, hey, we're not going to take a price reduction. You know, if you want to walk the deal, you can. You know, we're going to wait to sell. So I, the price is typically the 
correction prices takes a year, 12 or 18 months, a lot of times. So I think we're kind of early for that. And so I think that where you might really see the opportunity in Houston is fewer buyers. So on the really good sites in a good market, there's 20 buyers. And even getting the site's really difficult. Now it might be a situation where you actually can go buy the property with no competition. Uh, maybe you get a slight discount, 10 to 15%. Uh, construction costs could go down. That's probably the most significant savings. And then you might be able to get a lot of time to do deals where in the past you had to close quicker, maybe in you know four to six months. Uh, now maybe you get a year to close. Uh, and so there's a lot of benefits. One of the biggest reasons to do a deal right now, we were, I was talking to a guy earlier today, and it's like people always with the stock market, you know, when, when things crash, everybody freezes, no one buys. And then it comes back up and everybody thinks it's safe and they get in. The same thing happens in real estate. Uh, people are scared right now of Houston. There's a lot of these negative things. Uh, what will happen is the supply pipeline will shut off. There won't be a lot of new deals announced. So if you actually build right, if you buy land right now, and you build something next year, you're going to deliver it in two to three years, which means you'll be the first guy leasing up in the cycle. So you're going to time the market really well. Tim was talking a lot about multifamily development. And there's also been, I would say, since Harvey, really the three asset classes that have seen a lot of growth have been single family development, multifamily development, and industrial development. We've had huge growth on the industrial side. A lot of that has been tied to either logistics and distribution with everyone trying to compete with Amazon, you know, Walmart, Home Depot, Lowe's, all building million square foot facilities in the suburbs to be able to better distribute around town and Amazon building some huge facilities in the suburbs as well. Um, But then also we've had oil and gas, you know, related industrial development. So, you know, projecting out what we think will happen on the industrial side, and kind of transitioning gears a little bit with the coronavirus, we think the coronavirus, one of the outcomes is going to be, you know, really further and further moving these companies towards more distribution and logistics and e-commerce and away from brick and mortar retail. Because, uh, you know, the, the companies right now that are really being successful that were well positioned are the Amazon, the HEBs that already moved to more, you know, different ways of approaching selling their products than just the traditional, everybody comes into the store and purchases items. So um, we think that's going to be an interesting trend. We're gonna, we have low oil prices, so there'll be a slight pullback related to that in industrial. But we think overall industrial is going to grow in Houston due to logistics and distribution and then more jobs coming back uh, on the manufacturing side into the U.S. And so more you know, manufacturing space needed in the industrial market. In a lot of ways, what we're seeing is just everything speed up. Like you mentioned about how e-commerce was already a very prevalent thing. It was strong. But now this is just speeding things up a lot with the way we shop, the way we um, are entertained, maybe the way we work. Uh, So I think all all those things are going to be significantly impacted. People may just decide that they're going to stay home and you know, where technology has gotten with options, with streaming, with even just the, the TVs that we have in our houses now and, and the quality. Um, so some of those some of those we see is it was an evolution that was already happening. And this is really just, it's going to expedite that process, maybe could be upwards in some cases of a decade to where 10 years ago, people did not want to shop online for clothes. So it was like, well, I'm, I want to go into the store. I want to try on the clothes. Well, now I do so much of my shopping online. I don't know that I ever go into the store for clothes. And that was already happening. And it was just kind of a change. And we, we see that, you know, the same thing with hospitality. I was talking to a group um, earlier this week 
they said, historically, this guy covers multiple markets around the country. He's on a plane and he's traveling and he's meeting with different clients, representatives in different markets. He said, we're, we, we're talking about changing our whole business travel strategy. And instead of going to locations, trying to have as many of these meetings as we can virtually, because that's what we've been forced to do. And we're actually being really productive doing that this last month. So, you know, that impact of that is fewer business travelers staying in hotels, uh, which will have a negative impact there. And it, it just generally, there's a trickle effect on business travelers and the way they spend money and go to restaurants and a number of different things. So it'll be really interesting to see how the, uh, how this experience and not knowing exactly how long this is going to last, but how long, how this experience changes the way that people work and live in, you know, in the future, short and long term. And thinking about Houston and, and how retail makes up such a huge part of our economy and, and just the physical landscape where like the, the land of strip centers, right? Are we going to see a bunch of distressed real estate when this, when this thing not, not even necessarily is over, but in the coming weeks or, or months? I think that we will. I, mean, I think that especially um, some of these asset classes, like movie theaters, hospitality, some of the big box retailers. We're talking to another company that has a large portfolio across the country of large big big box stores, and um, they're they, you know you think about the Kmart's of the world, the Sears of the world, and some of these stores that have declared bankruptcy in the last you know decade and last few years. You know, there's lots and lots of land holdings related to that, and they're already were some dark malls and and you know quite a few dark big boxes. We were already seeing big boxes turned into industrial distribution centers, into co-working spaces, torn down and turned into, you know, residential living. Well, now, you know, I think we're going to see that, like we were saying earlier, just at a a more rapid pace. And especially in some of the um, more distressed areas, you know, areas um, maybe where the demographics aren't quite as strong. I think you'll see more and more stores pulling out. Um, You know, there's there's a big question in the retail world on who is going to pay rent in April. And a lot of retailers had actually preemptively said, you know, we're not going to pay rent. Like TJ Maxx had said, we're not going to be paying rent in April. Um, you know, comparing that to the multifamily sector, we've been asking our clients, how are collections first of April? And what we're hearing for the most part is they've been 95% plus of their residents are paying and, and Tim and I talked about that. A lot of that has to do with the fact that it's shelter in place. Everyone's actually living in their apartment, you know, working in their apartment. You can argue that you can't go to work or maybe you got laid off, but you're still, you know, benefiting from living in your apartment. Whereas, you know, nobody can shop in these retail stores and the retailers are, you know, still paying their utility bill or still have expenses related to the store, but there's no revenue coming in at all. We, we are starting to, we've been talking to a lot of bank CEOs and we're starting to see uh, they don't want to foreclose yet. And they're trying to, I think what happened last time, I know is there were a lot of foreclosures, especially on land, but even on other assets. One thing these bank CEOs are saying is the leverage is better than it was back then. There's more leverage back then. So a lot of those deals were more vulnerable to, to price reductions. But they're already starting to sell notes on these deals, uh, which shows you that the banks are scared. They don't want to be holding this debt 
And uh, specifically on office and retail, they're trying to sell the notes. And the idea is like, we'll sell it to some investor. They probably know there's a chance that the, you know, the, the group can't pay on the loan. They're going to do the dirty work of foreclosing on the people and, and dealing with that. The banks don't want to have to do that this time. Most of the banks I've talked to you don't think we'll see a lot of REO deals. They think that uh, you're going to have notes get sold to groups that will take care of that. And, and maybe... And just to, just, sorry to interrupt you, but just... Just for any listeners that might not know the language, REO is essentially means foreclosure. Real estate owned, yeah. They, right. Yeah. Uh, and what we saw back in the recession, 08 and 09, we actually did a lot of this. We sold a lot of notes and REO properties for, for the banks. And uh, some of the banks, like Compass Bank, we sold a lot for. They just dumped like $6 billion in assets on the market and sold deals at you know, 15, 20 cents on the dollar. And that I mean, just gave stuff away. And some of the banks didn't do that and held on to properties and were able to actually do pretty well with them. And so I think that this time around, the banks are saying, we don't want to do that again. We want to try and not have a lot of foreclosures. But they also want a lot of these tough deals like retail and office to be someone else's problem. Um, and so the fact they're already selling notes shows that they're really worried about office and retail. And Tom, I've talked to you, think about if you're a power center and you know, you have J.C. Penney and you have uh, a number of restaurants in your center. You know, your grocery store is probably going to be fine, but a lot of the junior anchors are going to go bankrupt. And so pretty quickly, you could have 40 percent vacancy and you won't be able to make your, your uh, loan payment. Uh, and then there will be it'll be very difficult to go release that space because there's not a lot of other junior anchors or restaurants out there looking for space. So who's most at risk here? Is it sort of the smaller independent landlords, companies, you know, you've got big public companies like Wine Garden and pretty much all they own are grocery anchored shopping centers. Are they going to be able to survive? I think it's going to hit everybody really hard. The bigger public companies may have uh, better cash positions and better access to, to uh, debt to be able to survive this. Uh, also, Wine Garden specifically owns some incredible sites, you know, that have retail on them, but um, we're already seeing uh, other uses look at retail sites. So maybe you can take part of a shopping center and make it into a multifamily deal or make it into a self-storage deal. Maybe there's some other uses. Uh, Wine Garden has some sites where the, the value of the underlying real estate is probably worth more than the actual you know, shopping center. So in that, that case, I think that they would be okay. And also they have better access to capital and debt. But I still think they'll be in the same boat as someone that owns retail centers. They're going to get hurt by this bad. It's not going to be good. Probably the biggest losers, Tom and I are talking about kind of winners and losers. I think for sure, retail across the board is, is a big loser. Hospitality, I think it's really tough. Uh, entertainment of probably almost every kind, you know, movie theaters, concert venues. You know, you think, you know, the, the kind of the live concert scene was doing so well leading up to this. It was actually kind of a, a booming industry across the country. You'd have to think that's almost just over now. Yeah. Um, so there, there's going to be some pretty significant losers um, disproportionately across the market. You think about how co-working space was starting to take some of these big box locations. I've been in different markets where you're driving by what used to be, you know, probably like a, you know, a home goods store, TJ Maxx or something. And it's now, a you know, it's a co-working space. And Tim and I are talking about if, if you're trying to practice social distancing and you're concerned about, you know, getting a lot of people in one environment, that could have a really negative impact on co-working, which really was the new thing. It was supposed to be taking over. 
Um, you know, WeWorks was struggling, but there were some other brands that were looking pretty strong. And now kind of all that needs, needs to almost be rethought. You know, is that going to be a good model? Because it does work if you think about working virtually. And if a lot of people are going to start working virtually, it'd be nice for companies to be able to downsize their office footprint, have a co-working space they could go to where they have a nice conference room and there's a receptionist and there's some amenities for clients, but they don't have to pay, you know, a large lease expense. But if you're concerned, you know, this is the uncertainty of what does it look like post, you know, coronavirus and how does the how does the threat of a pandemic affect our society going forward? You know, that may not be a good solution for office. So um, that it was that was starting to become a solution. A lot of this vacant office, these big co-working companies were just coming in and signing all the leases and taking floors of office space. It's going to be really interesting to follow that over the course of the next, you know, six to 12 months to just see where that goes in these different markets. Definitely. Rebecca and I were just talking before we called you guys about our offices and we were hearing earlier today from our editor, just some of the options that they're looking at in terms of bringing us back, but giving us more physical space, possibly using some sort of separators, things like that. And the trend, as as you all know, has been to um, get more people into smaller spaces just for for cost purposes in many cases. And now we're also, I think a lot of companies are thinking, well, we need more space to, if we're going to bring everyone back and yeah. everyone needs to, to distance. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I appreciate you chatting with us today. Yeah. Thanks Rebecca. for having us. Yeah, Rebecca, did you have any burning questions you wanted to ask? Um, I guess maybe two years from now when projects have had the chance to be developed and open, driving down, if you chose a Houston street to drive down, what what would you expect to see that might be different? Like how might the built environment change based off of what you're seeing now? I think it depends on which, you know, which part of town, uh, whether it's infill or suburban. Um, I, I think that uh, in the near term, you're still going to see a lot of cranes in Houston because there's a lot of deals that are already were kind of done and uh, they're, they're going to go forth construction. So you'll see that for the next couple of years. But I, but I do think there'll be a period of time where there aren't a lot of cranes in Houston, which might be about two years out, kind of when you're saying, you know, I think that it'll take a long time to reabsorb the retail. So you might see some vacancies in retail. Um, I do think that one of the big winners coming out of this long-term is multifamily as an asset class. So I think you'll you'll keep seeing more multifamily in Houston um, and more people wanting to live in the city. I don't think that's changed even with this coronavirus. Um, so I think you'll see more densification coming in to, into the city um, and restaurants coming back. To me, there's going to be a demand for restaurants for sure um, in those kind of markets. I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Tom. But yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say something that our clients have been telling us just in the last couple of weeks is the focus had been pushing more and more living into very urban, dense environments. And because of this pandemic, a lot of them are starting to rethink these really dense projects. And I think we're going to see more and more development out the suburbs. So everybody as a society has been moving back into the cities. I think we may start to see a little bit of, maybe not everyone, but a little bit of a reverse of people wanting to spread out a little bit more and, and realizing the benefit. Because as you track, you know, where the pandemic has been most deadly, it's been in these really, really urban, dense environments uh, across, mm-hmm. really across the world in, in those cities. Yeah, New York's really got good. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of really good stuff to think about. So thank you guys again for your time today and for joining us from your home offices. <laughs> Thanks for having us. We enjoyed it. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, guys. So, Rebecca, I think we just got like 20 story ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for, for being here, co-hosting with me and listeners. Thank you as well. As usual, if you have a story idea or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us. We are at and Sarnoff and Rebecca. I'm at R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. That's S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. If you're not a subscriber already, please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Until next time, have a great day. 